Welcome to the Debbie Debate. All right, boys, are we ready to debate? Bruni, are you ready to go head-to-head with me? I am. Got to get my popcorn out here. Hold on. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. I'm Felix Sharp. I know you didn't think that we would get through this episode without mentioning the name one Zach F. Wilson. It is first to goal. Ball spotted just inside the 10. Algier in. Wilson faked it to him and keeps it. Zach Wilson to speed and he dives for the end zone. Touchdown. That's Austin Nate. Gibbs, who is probably going to be the best pass catcher out of the three. Down. First down. He's going to get after it again. And look at the speed and the spark and the score from Gibbs. Just what Georgia Tech needed. That's Matt Bruning. G. Scott Jr. Obviously, I waxed poetic about him on the last episode, so I won't do that again here. And it's time to steal. But the carry runs up. Justin Fields. Hello, Columbus. 51 yards. Austin, you tweeted something, bro. You tweeted your running back ranking. Explain yourself. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. Ohio State fan talking there. Oh, shit. That is why you come to the Debbie debate. Apologies to Kirk Herbstreit. We ran out of time. We'll get him rescheduled soon. And for Matt Bruning and Austin Nace, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. It's 9.30 in the most patriotic U.S. time zone. That means it's time for the Debbie debate. That's Mac Bruning. That's Austin Nace. And I'm Felix Sharp on an exasperated version of today's show. Should we be concerned about Zach Wilson's performance at Coastal Carolina? Who should be the first pick in, 20, in the first pick in C2C freshman drafts? And is Darren Waller the top uh, tight end at the position? But we start with breaking news as the game Michigan at Ohio State Previously scheduled for this Saturday has been canceled as a result of a COVID-19 outbreak within the Michigan football team. And Bruning, my initial thoughts about the game being canceled were just to think about all the sacrifices that so many have made during this pandemic. The first responders, the teachers, the troops. And so bravo to the University of Michigan for refusing to put any young men in harm's way, including Ohio State's players as the resident Buckeye fan on this show, did you have a similar reaction to the game being canceled with thoughts about our first responders and the sacrifices that that teachers have made? Absolutely fucking not. What, are you kidding me? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, it, it still hurts. I'm not going to lie. 100, 103 years of tradition. We we beat that ass for the last eight years. I was really looking forward to it happening again this year. But, um, you know, I, I, I guess I do have to apologize that, uh, what was it? Um, what would I say last week? Something about their, their tests and other stuff. And apparently it was a lot worse than they first let on when they said it was only a couple players that tested positive. I think last I looked, it turned out to be 40, 40 people altogether, players and, and staff. So obviously that's a big deal. Um, you know, I was going to bring up later in the podcast, we might not be able to get to it, but uh, what's going on with the the myocarditis, I believe is how you say it as well, with some college players already. Uh, so I, I am with you as much as it sucks. And, and I know Harbaugh and them were out there saying, hey, 
you know, maybe we can just postpone it for a couple weeks and maybe play it after the Big Ten championship game. I don't think that makes much sense, at least for the Buckeyes side, because uh, they're already going to have the Big Ten championship. I'd still like to see the game get played, but for the most part, I am with you. It makes it makes sense with everything going on. You don't want to endanger these kids. I, I know they want to play, but you, I guess – I guess there's adults in the room that make the right decisions. Although they they kind of messed this up the entire time, to be honest with you. But I am with you for the most part. Look at Bruning, you know, taking a dark turn with uh with all the symptoms and everything, and the forty players. And you know, I I read a lot about that re- recently. It's I think it's going to take a bad turn. I I wanted you to take the position that no, the game should be played. But anyway, all right, it should be played. Uh, damn it. Uh, but you know, they you can the rules, so. tweet at him at Sports Fanatic FB. I disagree. I support the troops. Save the whales. All right, here we go. Let's turn to page two. Week thirteen in college football. Austin Traylon Burke's performance. Talk to me a little bit about that. And could he be the class of the twenty twenty two wide receivers? Man, I'm I'm glad we're starting off the show with this today because talking Traylon Burks just gets me hyped. Uh, shout out to friend of the show Alfred Fernandez who really. He, he's been my big riser this year. I think I had him at like wide receiver 30 or something coming into the year. And I had him up to like eight or nine a couple of weeks ago. I posted my rankings on Twitter and Alfred said, is that really all the higher the trail on Burks is? And I sat there and I thought about it for a long time. And I was like, you know what? He's right. And so he's bumped the whole way up to wide receiver five for me. And I think he's definitely in the running for that top guy in the 2022 class. Now I'm not exactly sure he's my number one yet, but he's in an offense that isn't exactly prolific through the air. Um, and at this point in time, it, it, so far this year, he has 49 catches, 800 yards, uh, seven, seven touchdowns. Um, he's had a couple really big games. I mean, this past weekend, he went uh, 10 catches, 206 yards and a touchdown. But there are just things beyond beyond that that I think scouts are going to love. He has that NFL alpha size at 6'3", 232 which is just enormous for a wide receiver. It's kind of that old school, um, you know, jump, go jump ball, go up and get a guy, but he's way more athletic than that. I, th- I think draft scout I saw has him projected somewhere between a four, four, two and a four, five, two forty. I think even if he hits the high end of that, that's still great for like his size, uh, like size speed combo. He has that recruiting background that we like with a four star, And anybody that I've ever talked to about receivers, the thing that I absolutely love, if you are a big receiver and you return punts in college, I am going to love you. And Arkansas had him do that a lot last year. And he does it well. I mean, he's elusive in the open field. He's not just a bruiser when he has the ball in his hands. And and so, I mean, I love him. He's got 93rd percentile hand size. I mean, I could just go on and on and on, list metrics, list stats, Um, you know, 35% of their yardage on the year, 28% of their receptions. I I do think 2022 is a bit underrated um, in terms of a class as a whole, but, but Burks is, Burks is up there for me. Yeah. You talk about 2019. He actually had 29 catches for 475 yards. He led the team in receiving yards. So um, Traylon Burks is stringing, stringing together, really productive seasons. And if you think about Arkansas, like you said, they're not some prolific passing team. What's interesting about Arkansas is that KJ Jefferson might be taking over for Felipe Franks or um, could be, you know, getting more of a a share of those, those quarterback touches. And Jefferson is definitely the more exciting dual threat quarterback who started um, some uh, as a, as a freshman and looked really good against, Uh, against Missouri and so that's going to be an interesting situation 
to watch. Uh, Pro Football Focus actually has Traylon Burks fourth in receiving grade. Uh, the only players above him are Elijah Moore, Jakari Robinson, who's no, Roberson, who's no one's really talking about, and Devonta Smith. So um, those are uh, – we really want to pay attention to Traylon Burks moving forward, especially for me if K.J. Jefferson takes over at, at quarterback in that backfield. Now, one player who will not be confused as a dual-threat quarterback is a show favorite, Matt, and that's Carson Strong. We went 23 for 39 this past weekend, 354 yards and five touchdowns. Romeo Dubs, his friend at wide receiver there, seven for 95. How aggressively should we be looking to acquire the Nevada Wolfpack duo in C2C leagues? Well, first off, speaking to him not being a dual threat, negative 22 yards rushing. Just wanted to throw that out there in that game as well. Uh, I, I would be moving pretty hard for at least Carson Strong. Uh, I, I do think that he we, – we obviously talked about him last episode. You've been talking about him pretty much all season. Now, I do think he has a shot to jump up there into that uh, that elite group of well, – God, I use that word a lot. The top-tier group of quarterbacks in that 2022 draft up there with, with Hal, Rattler, Slovis. And I don't think anybody's really talking about Strong, so he might be a guy that you can buy low on. So I would be fairly aggressive on him. Romeo Dubs, I'm just – I do think he could be good, but I'm not sold that he's going to have the talent at wide receiver that, say, Carson Strong does at quarterback. So I would still aggressively trade for both. I would think right now you can still get both fairly cheap, especially if you're in a campus-to-campus-to-Canton side of things that maybe didn't play the college football season this year because of COVID. So a lot of people may not be paying to the stats on that side of things, so you might be able to trade for them even lower because they may be guys – Oh, I don't even know who this dude is. So, yeah, you want him here, I'll give you whatever for him. So I would aggressively pursue both of them. But if I had to pick one of the other, I would go Carson Strong over Dubs. I agree with you. And Carson Strong, I, it, it'll be interesting to see if he decides to come out next year or the year after because he'll still have uh, two years of eligibility left. And from one show favorite to another, Austin, it's we might need to ask whether or not we owe you an apology. B. John Robinson's performance, nine carries, 172 yards, uh, three touchdowns, averaging almost 20 yards a carry. And the, the best stat is that one teammate is, is promptly entering the transfer protocol. Um, Austin, talk to me about B. John Robinson's performance and what is his ceiling actually? It, it was amazing. This was the first weekend that Texas's offense really tried to run the ball with any, you know, sort of regularity with the quarterback or with the running back position. They run a lot of stuff with um, with Ellinger. Um, and it's not a surprise that this was probably the weekend that their offenses looked the best. I mean, Kansas State isn't like a terrible defense either. Um, I they, they should have unleashed him weeks ago. He was behind Keonta Ingram, who uh, is the guy you were referring to that's going to transfer. I've never been a big Ingram guy. He has like nice size, but he he always struck me as like a college guy, but not really an NFL talent. And then um, they also have what Roshan Johnson, who's there as well. But Robinson is just infinitely more dynamic than both of them. Uh, this, this past week, uh, he was great efficiency per touch. Um but since we talked about him a couple of weeks ago, uh, we and we I talked about him and compared him to Tank Bigsby and Jabir Gibbs, who are his primary competition in that 2022 running or 2023 running back class. He's raised his yards per um, carry from 4.6 to 6.8, which is now better than the other two. 
He his yards per reception has gone from 9.6 to 12.2. So he's now way ahead of Bigsby, and he's almost he's virtually tied with Gibbs at the moment. At the moment, you have to think that he's going to get more of the bulk of the touches, especially with Ingram, like you said, and entering that portal. I'm I'm buying him everywhere. I mean, I've been saying this for weeks. I see all these people on Twitter now saying that they've been all over him. They haven't been. They've been all over Bigsby, and now they want to hype Robinson. So I, I see you people. I know what you're doing. I, I think it's he's still a buy. I, he hasn't reached his peak value yet. I, I, I'd say go buy him now and worry about it later. Well, um, he may have reached his peak value. I'm in a C2C draft right now. I'm actually on the clock. And Bijan Robinson went at number seven overall uh, in uh, in this C2C. So um, he, he might be up there. And I actually want to ask you about what his value is. I know that he's your top-ranked Debbie running back. So I want to give you some NFL names. And you just tell me. Tell me who has a higher ceiling. I don't want to get into trades and stuff like that because the value is different on the college side and the NFL side, and he's a freshman, and you don't know what's going to happen in three years. So just I want to get a sense of, of how much you like um, B. John Robinson by you answering just a few names, who has a higher ceiling. All right, so B. John Robinson or Antonio Gibson? That's a close one. In, in a regular Debbie league, I'd probably lean Gibson, but that's very close. In a C2C, I would take Bijan all day. Uh, Cam Akers? Uh, Bijan. I would take him over Cam. Jonathan Taylor? I would take Taylor. I still Taylor's woken up the past couple weeks. He's He's got some, you know, some good games ahead of him here. Uh, Miles Sanders? Are they firing Peterson anytime soon? If they fire um, Peterson, then I would take Sanders. If I, if you tell me Peterson's there two more years, I'll take Bijan. All right. What about Clyde Edwards Hilaire? I'm I'll giving take you some tough ones now. I'll, I'll take Bijan. Um, I wasn't high on Cl- high on Clyde coming out, so I'll, I'll take Bijan. Yeah. And DeAndre Swift. I'll probably take Swift because Swift was my number one back in this past class. So if if I take if I take Taylor over him, I, I feel like I probably have to take Swift too. So. All right. Um, so we highlighted Carson Strong and Romeo Dubs. We need to highlight another West Coast player, and that is true freshman uh, running back for the Utah Utes. It's running back Ty Jordan. Three-star prospect as a recruit was listed at 5'7", 183. That was his listed uh, prospect weight. And at Utah, they already have him at 200 pounds. Um, showed his ability to be a workhorse this past weekend against Oregon State. 27 carries, 167 yards. One touchdown and actually added uh, two catches for 22 yards. Only 20% owned on fan tracks, and that is up 12.5% um, this week, and, and rightfully so. He's a player that plays with good leverage, and at 5'7", uh, you would think that he could use that size to his advantage, and he does. He's always lowering his shoulder, and he generally pushes the pile forward after contact he has some uh lateral agility to him definitely plays with a low center of gravity uh even with his performance this past weekend at 167 yards he only ranked 26 this week in rushing grade according to pro football focus um uh, but i think the headline here is freshman bell cow 20 percent owns uh in our c2c leagues we definitely have a place for someone 
like uh, like Ty Jordan. I would still have him just looking at the 2023 class. Um, I was thinking where I would probably rank him. I would still have Jamar uh, Jameer Gibbs number one, Bijan Robinson number two, Tank Bigsby at at uh, three, Jalen Berger at four. Got Jalen Knighton at five, uh, Jason McClellan at six, Blake Quorum at seven, and then that's where I would place uh, Ty Jordan after Blake Quorum and in front of Seth McGowan and Penny Boone. So uh, that's how that's how that's how I'm feeling about uh, Ty Jordan. All right, we know in a lot of C2C leagues that um, freshman drafts are going to be coming up soon, and so we wanted to take. Um, some time to talk a little bit about the incoming high school class of 2021, uh, who will be freshmen in 2021. And each of us is to have taken a quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end prospect. Bruning, I'm going to toss it to you first. Give me the 2021 quarterback prospect uh, that you are most looking forward to and, and talk to me about it. Uh, well, he's the number one pro prospect according to 247 Sports, a uh, guy that I got in the program. Thankfully, I went all in on this kid, and that is Sam Heward at a Kennedy Catholic in Washington. So he's going to Washington, hometown kid. Got a couple of offers from some big-time schools as well. Uh, obviously, Arizona, Florida, Tennessee, USC, all recruited him. Uh, I think he's obviously already 6'2", 190, five-star, five-star athlete. Um, again, now – we can only take so much away from these guys. I know, Austin, we were talking off air a little bit about how much tape we've kind of watched on these guys because of the the program league that we're in. Sometimes all you get is highlight videos on these guys. It's hard to get, obviously, full game tape in high school. So sometimes it's stuff shot on video cameras or people's phones. So you can only kind of take what you can here. Um, but from what I've seen, Great release, uh, quick and effortless. I like his deep ball. Um, he he hits the open receivers. I think he's got excellent accuracy, can fit the ball into tight windows. Um, excellent bloodlines as well. His father was uh, an NFL starter for a while as well. So I, I, he's the guy that I'm all in. I know some people, I think he, some people have him second or third. He's still, uh, from everything I've seen, people who rank the, the incoming freshman, at least top three in everybody's quarterback rankings. But he's a guy that I really like going there to Washington. I think uh, – Dylan Morris is there right now. I just rewatched their game the other day when I was doing uh, some looking at Austin Jones for Stanford, and I think he's actually looked pretty good. So he sits probably for another year before he becomes a starter. Uh, but he is my favorite as of right now in this 2021 recruiting class. Go ahead, Austin. Cool. So I, I'm going to, uh, so Hubert's my number one. And then number two for me is Vandegrift, who I assumed you were going to pick Felix. Um, <laughs> you talk, talk about all the time, but you didn't. So I, I I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, Tyler Buchner, who's going to Notre Dame this year. He is the, I'm looking to see exactly where he is in this class. I think he's like the number nine quarterback in the class. He's a four yeah, he's star. A um, he's a, he's a dual threat guy. Um, he missed a junior season uh, with a knee injury, and I think that's the reason why he's he's lower in rankings than I think he probably should be. He's a multi-sport athlete, which I like to see. He's got nice size at about 6'2", a little over 200 pounds. And he's a smart kid. I mean, he got offers from like half the Ivy League in addition to like every top program out there. You know, Bama offered him, Georgia offered him. 
Um, he's going to, to Notre Dame, so I think he's going to play pretty quickly because they don't really have that much behind Ian Book. So in C2Cs next year, he's probably going to be the guy that I go after the hardest just because he kind of hits that intersection of value, opportunity, and you know pedigree and ranking early on. So on, on Buchner, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I actually really like that call, Austin. I, I wish I could remember who it was. I was listening to a podcast recently, a college podcast, talking about there's someone that I I respect tremendously, and I really wish I could remember who it is because they mentioned him like five or six months ago. With the arm that he has, they think that he could be a huge get for Notre Dame and, and actually kind of turn that offense around, at least into a more pro-style offense compared to what they've got with Ian Manziel there right now. So. Now the 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 player that I wanted to I cheated a little bit because the player that I wanted to highlight is the top quarterback recruit according to twenty four seven sports and that's Caleb Williams who obviously commute, uh, committed to Oklahoma. Um, I don't like Caleb Williams, um, and that's actually why I wanted to highlight him here. Um, some pros, I, I think that he has a mature personality and he'll be kind of the CEO type in the huddle. He's a very good athlete, very good straight line speeds speed for his size. Good arm strength, but most of his uh, the highlights that you see are him as a runner, not necessarily as a passer. It's very good that he's got an elite level of high school competition, um, but he is an he's best off script. He's a, an off script quarterback who is best when the play breaks down, and once the play breaks down, defenders are not big enough or athletic enough to kind of corral him. Um, and so he really excels when the play breaks down. And, and I think that once Caleb Williams starts, Oklahoma's offense is going to look very different than it has under Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, or, or Spencer Rattler. I just don't see Caleb Williams being an elite passer. In fact, at least his junior year, he had a 55% completion percentage in high school. Even 24-7 noted his general lack of overall production in the passing game. Um, in my opinion, he lacks lateral agility to make players myth and he's miss, and he's just a better athlete than quarterback. And he I I haven't and I haven't looked at his any 2020 film, but he's not a rhythm or timing passer. And a lot of the plays that you see, um, where he gets a completion or is, is where a wide receiver comes open because he's broken a tackle in the backfield and the secondary lost, lost his man. Um, so um, uh, also saw him face a lot of zero coverage at, as a result of his rushing ability that made for easier throws and reads. My player comparison for Caleb Williams is, is Skylar Thompson, who I actually like as a college football player, but not, um, as an NFL prospect. So um, I, I cheated a little bit. Uh, we could hear about Brock Vandergriff a little later on, uh, Austin, but not right now. Um, Bruning, why don't you give me your the running back that you are most looking forward uh, to in 2021? Well, so I just want to pop it. So I think at this point, William's best um, like characteristic is the fact that Lincoln Riley likes him. Right. Because he, he's really had an eye for that position. You know, he, he's, you know, whether it's been guys he's recruited or brought in transfer wise. So I, I think but that's. Does, but does Lincoln him. Riley like him? What? I mean, I, that's the thing. I mean, does Lincoln Riley like him? He was the second choice. He was the second choice. So, but yeah, I mean, so I don't know. I mean, 
he's got that going for him. I'll say that. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, it wouldn't be a Debbie debate podcast if I wasn't talking about some Ohio State Buckeye players. So I'm probably saying his name wrong, but uh, Travion Henderson, the number one running back recruit out of Hopewell, Virginia, uh, five star athlete, got 39 offers, including I'm not going to go over the whole list, but obviously Alabama was up there. They recruited him pretty hard. He goes to Ohio State. Um, he just looks like a phenomenal player. Uh, shows high-level lateral agility, ability to accelerate. He's very elusive in the open field and a threat to score every time that I saw him touch the ball. He's got a field and a track uh, for his, on his uh, his little merit here as well. 100-meter yard dash, 55 meters, named the Gatorade Virginia Player of the Year as a junior. He's got everything you want in a Running back, instinctive runner, natural vision, gets upfield without hesitation, especially when he's catching the ball out of the backfield. I don't necessarily agree with this, but I know some people are saying he's the next Christian McCaffrey. I hate player comps, so I never try to give them because most of the time I give I, I make the wrong comp anyways. Uh, but I'm excited to see him in a Buckeyes uniform next year, especially because we are losing Trey Sermon and um, likely Master Teague this year, and I don't believe in Steel Chambers or – can't remember the kid's name at the moment, but the bowling ball that we have back there as well. We we don't really have anybody that can play running back on the roster right now. So I think Henderson and Pryor, who both committed both very high-ranked prospects in this uh, recruiting class, will be starting next year for the Buckeyes in what I think is going to be, again, another very high-powered offense. So Henderson's my top guy as well. So we're on the same page for these first two guys, Matt. I'll, well, I'll after- be honest. Wheaton is actually my number one, but oh, I had to go. I had to go Buckeye homerism and, okay, and talk okay. about Henderson. So I, sh- I should have known. I should have known. So, so outside of quarterback, all the first thing, and it's probably like fifty to sixty percent of my eval when I look at these kids coming out of high school, is their movement skills. How they because it, it, it's just a different level of competition. I mean, you're probably if you're a high rated recruit, you're almost definitely the best athlete on the field. You're probably you know just beyond athleticism. You're probably the most talented guy. Um, so, so I just want, I, I like just watching how these guys move. And so that's why LJ Johnson is my, he's he, him and Henderson are like very close for me. He's right now. It, it says, uh, 24 seven says he has a verified four, four, two forty. I'd believe that. And when he, when he, he turns up field, he looks like he's been shot out of an absolute cannon. He, he's got great burst. Um, he's got really nice size, about 5'10", a little over 200 pounds. You know, in college, he can bulk him up another 10, 15 pounds. He's physical, but not like overly so that you think that he's probably relying on that aspect of his game to just kind of beat kids down that are smaller than him in high school. I I am really interested. I will say he'll drop quite a bit for me in C2C leagues if he ends up going to Texas because he's obviously going to have Bijan there, who at best, I can't imagine it being anything more than a 50-50 timeshare for him. I'd rather see him go. It's Texas. It seems like it's between Texas and Texas Tech. I want to see him go to Texas Tech and just be like the guy, the offense there. And I, I wouldn't shock me at all if he ends up being the number one guy in the class if he does that. Uh, my running back prospect is Kamaro Edmonds, a four-star prospect, 10th overall running back in the 2021 class from Havelock, North Carolina, uh, going there to UNC where Michael Carter and Javante Williams both going to be gone after this year. The, the one thing that really stands out about Edmonds is his size, 5'11", 227, already has prototypical size 
for the position. And we know that the recruiting job that Mac Brown has done uh, there at North Carolina, Edmonds got some SEC offers, not the top offers, but he did get an offer from Tennessee. Um, he's not a plotter. He's got breakaway speed, and that's kind of supported by his 37.35.2, excuse me, vertical at the opening in 2019. 2019 stats, 1,400 yards rushing, 21 catches for 270 yards. So this guy is going to walk on to campus uh, next year with prototypical size and speed and the ability to catch the ball. And he's going to, going to have one year of Sam Howell as his quarterback. So you have to believe that he's going to be a, uh, at least a portion of an elite offense for a season. So he is the one uh, running back prospect that I'm really looking forward to. Bruning, let's turn the tables over to wide receivers and give me the uh, wide, excuse me, the wide receiver that you are most looking forward to in 2021. Uh, so for me, it is Amika Abuka, who is the number one wide receiver prospect according to Two Four Seven Sports. I will, um, I've got a little something on him I want to talk about. I'll save that here for a minute. Out of uh, Washington, he is uncommitted as of right now, but he will be making his decision this Friday on the 11th. He has stated that it seems like it is down to two schools which is Ohio State and Oklahoma. Uh, obviously, a lot of people believe that he was a for sure commit to Ohio State, yet he did just come off a visit from Oklahoma, which from everything we are hearing went actually very, very well. And, and there are some people who do the crystal ball predictions that think that Oklahoma may have swayed him away from Ohio State. So that'll be something to tune into on Friday if you're into that recruiting stuff. I know I'll be watching. Uh, obviously, if he goes to Ohio State, that just continues their recent dominance here of getting the top wide receivers. But uh, him going to Oklahoma to be paired with Caleb Williams, I don't think would be a bad thing as well. Uh, so there, or according to uh, the, the National Combine here, I believe it was in Dallas, Texas, or is that the opening? Which one is – I can't remember which one's which. The opening. I mean, I they're think, all over. It? They're all over the place. Um, the, the opening. Are, they're all. I know the, the opening's almost always in, in Dallas, Texas. But I, it was at the National Combine. Four point four two verified forty. Elite body control. He's got great size, great strength. Physical receiver. Uh, good against press coverage. Again, uh, on athletes that are probably like me out there playing cornerback on him. So take that for what it's worth. He, he's not going up against top tier talent up there in Washington, unfortunately, but consistently draw double coverage and still one great yak uh, player. And one thing that I really liked, uh, he did a lot of uh, punt and kick returns as well. Looked really good doing that and actually played safety as well uh, for his high school. So again, I really liked everything he did. There was a two sport athlete. Uh, he played uh, baseball as well as a junior uh, ran uh, this, um, what is it? Uh, track a little bit as well. I think it was his freshman year. So all around, he's a great athlete, two sport athlete, which I think is phenomenal for football players as well. Great hand eye coordination to be a baseball player and a football player. I think it's going to help him out. So he is a guy that I'm super excited about. Obviously, I hope in all honesty, he does commit to Ohio State. But regardless, he's he's my number one wide receiver, regardless of where he goes. So. Next year, Bama does the Bama thing and brings in a bunch of top receivers all in the same class again. And I love I love their three top guys a lot. Um, but my favorite of them, and he's my top guy in the class, is Aguille Hall. I think that's how you say his name. He, you mean a guy guy? A guy guy? Yeah, whatever. Only <laughs> only if you watch the program shows will you get that. Um. <laughs> so he, I mean, he's base. He's a smooth athlete. Prop. 
one of the smoothest athletes I've seen coming out of high school at that position. He's 6'3", 190, so it's not like he's a tiny kid. He reminds me a lot of Jerry Judy. He's like the evolution of Jerry Judy in that offense where you're getting a guy that is Jerry Judy but has size, and I think that should be a scary thing for SEC defenses. He has a 4'5", verified 40. He's got great shuttle times. Almost, a, He's got a 37-inch vert. He's he's the complete package. Um, and it wouldn't shock me at all. I mean, they, like I said, they bring in three guys this year. They're all very different, um, in terms of skill set. So I am interested to see like which one of them breaks out first. Um, but hall is a guy for me that I think when all is said and done is, is the top guy in this class. All right. I, I couldn't choose between two wide receivers. So I'll just talk briefly about both of them. Uh, Troy Franklin out of Menlo park, California, who's committed to Oregon he is a six foot two, 170 pound, bursty, long strider, and he's used in a, he was used in a variety of ways um, there uh, in high school. Returns punts, returns kicks, has played defensive back on on defense, and he's used in the running game on on um, uh, jet sweeps and and screens and and that thing and things like that. But I mean, he has the deep speed. He looks like what you would expect for a wide receiver going to Oregon. I would love to see him get up to, you know, 185 or so. Very smooth kind of galloping runner. Has a lot of flair. Plays with a lot of flair. If you if you like that type of player, I do. Um, and so that's one player, uh, a wide receiver that I'm really looking forward to. The other is Brian Thomas Jr., who's coming out of Louisiana and, of course, is going to LSU. Um, when I watch Brian Thomas, I don't know if it's the 11 or the green on his high school jersey, but he reminds me a lot of Preston Williams. Preston Williams, obviously, who played at uh, Colorado State, wide receiver U before going to Miami. Brian Thomas has the same size, and he's not, you know, he doesn't have elite speed or anything like that, but he has great body control for his size, 6'4, 185, already has prototypical size for the position. And I just really like his game. Um, and he's someone that I'm interested in moving forward. Um, do we want to talk about tight ends or do we want to skip over tight ends? I mean, I can talk about my guy. I think he's going to be good. Brock Bowers. Go ahead. All right. So tight end 6'3", 225 out of Napa, California, going to Georgia, four-star athlete. I'll just touch on it really quick. He is, uh, he's got elite level athleticism. I know I use that word too much, but 455 40 420 vertical. Um he looks like he has got very soft hands, good route runner, great body control and catches um great I already said soft hands didn't I? So great makes great catches, uh, projects to be a good starter, is also a very good blocker as well. He can burn uh linebackers and was even burning cornerbacks and safety on the field again, high school level talent but still uh, so I do think he projects to be a really good tight end moving forward and possibly a, a high-end NFL talent if he can continue. Georgia, I'm a, I mean, maybe if Vandegrift can can turn around and be pretty good. I don't know if that's a great place for a tight end to go. I would have preferred him to go to a more pass-friendly offense, but I, I do like Bowers a lot. He is my second-rated tight end in this class. Yeah, and just real briefly, my top guy is Elijah Arroyo, who's the number 10 tight end of the class. Um, tight end is such a crapshoot that like, I really don't try to predict it that much. Um, but there are some some programs that I pay attention to when they're recruiting a kid at that, that position, Iowa being one, Miami being the other one, and Arroyo is going to Miami. 
I think he'll probably sit next year, assuming that Will Mallory comes back, who is a guy that I do really like. And I think will kind of, I mean, he's not Brevin Jordan, but he'll do well next year in that offense. Um, and then I think Arroyo is going to step right in for him in a year or two after he bulks up a little bit because he is a little, maybe 6'4, 210. Um, so he does need to get a little bit bigger. Um, but just uh, if we're looking for athletic upside, he's a very good athlete. So. All right, gentlemen, we got freshman drafts coming up this offseason. And as it stands right now, I want to see if we have some consensus on who should be taken first overall in these freshman drafts. Now, let's consider a C2C super flex league. Um, Austin, I, I, who, who do you got? Who do you got? Who are you taking first overall in, in C2Cs? C2C is such a tough one because you're really looking for that. Like I, at least I look for opportunity and talent. Like I don't really want to take a guy that's going to be buried for a couple of years. Cause I feel like it's like, if you, if you pick the right Bama receiver, obviously you get a great player, but if you pick the wrong one, you wasted like really nice draft capital. So if, if I'm taking, if I'm picking early and I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to go maybe Will Shipley from Clemson. Um, I think he's going to go in there with ETN leaving this year and with Bowman just transferring out they don't have like a ton of other running backs even on the roster, let alone like highly recruited guys. And everyone wanted to talk about, I mean, I'm not going to comp him to Christian McCaffrey because that's the easy comp. He's, you know, a white running back. You can catch the ball, but he's like more of that next guy in line than say a Max Borky was. And he really is the complete package as a running back. So I am interested to see him go down there and pair him. Like they have their next quarterback in place. So he doesn't have to worry about, you know, having a crap show back there. So he might be a guy that if I have to choose, if I'm picking first and I have to choose, I I, I might choose Shipley. I, I thought that there would be consensus here because that we would take a quarterback. And I, obviously the number one quarterback that you should take is Brock Vandegrift. Okay. Um, Brock Vandegrift should be the number one pick because he was Lincoln Riley's number one pick. This guy has a he's a good arm talent who scrambles to throw. He keeps his eyes downfield. I talked about Caleb Williams, 55% uh completion percentage in high school. Well, at least his junior year, Brock Vandergriff was at 71%. Originally committed to Oklahoma. Again, Brock Vandergriff, grow up. I think you cost yourself millions of dollars by not going to Oklahoma. Good at throwing on the run, off plat platform, and even off his feet. At times, he's a quick releaser. He moves his feet to his drop back really quick. Uh, he's just generally fundamentally sound and in sync with his footwork and release. The, the ball often comes out as soon as he his foot uh, his back foot hits. He can play the rhythm quick passing game or he can improvise as necessary. He has an uncanny, uncanny ability to find wide receivers quickly in the face of pressure. Um, just I'm just reading some notes from my uh, uh, review on him. Some cons for, for Brock Vandergriff. He will hold the ball at or below his waist at time, even though that doesn't prevent him from, from having a quick release. He's not, I wouldn't call him an elite arm talent, um, but he has enough to excel at the at the next level. And from what I've read, where he plays high school is, is not a very high level of competition. Uh, it's a subclass in, in the state of Georgia. So, uh, But all that being said, I think, I mean, Brock Vandegrift for me is very – I thought that everybody was going to say Brock Vandegrift because I think we all have him as the number one quarterback. I have Heward. I think Austin has Heward too. 
Oh we yeah, just mentioned- yeah. We 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 just said that. I guess you don't pay attention to your co-host when we're talking. Well, I mean, so. I'm, I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> all right. Well, but so who are you? Are you taking Heward Bruning? I am not. Um. So my thing on quarterbacks is, as much as I believe Heward's not going to be a miss, they're very hit or miss. Uh, sometimes with this, I mean, we've seen a couple of the past classes in. Bryce Young and who am I forgetting out of that class right now? DJ Ugalele, which I probably said his name wrong. Obviously, the class before that, you had Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields are two classes before that who both have panned out. But going back to other classes, say 2017, Davis Mills, Hunter Johnson, Jake Fromm, Tate Martell, Jack Sears. I don't know if any of them are doing anything. I mean, Davis Mills looked okay at Stanford right now. I'm taking who I think for sure, like Austin said, is going to be on the field as soon as they hit uh, their college and has a ton of talent. And for me, I also want to get as much stock in running backs as I can uh, because as they go into the NFL, their windows are limited and they're harder to trade for, in my opinion. So I'm taking Travion Henderson, as I just mentioned. I think he immediately goes in and is the running back for the Buckeyes in. As long as Ryan Day is there, I think he's going to put up numbers. We've seen lately that they've been able to turn out some very good running backs over the past couple of years. I think Henderson is going to be right up there in that class. Um, and then, you know, I, I do think Pryor is going to be involved in there, but Henderson, I think, is going to end up being the guy. So for me, I would go Travion Henderson. We've got Travion Henderson, Will Shipley, and, and Brock Vandergriff all in the running for number one. Does any, I mean, is there, does anyone disagree vehemently with, with any of our picks? No, we, I don't. Kind of okay. I mean, I, if, if you would have gone Hubert there, if you would have gone your hated, uh, apparently hated rival there and Caleb Williams there, like I don't I don't think there's any wrong pick, especially in the C2C, because let's all be honest, you're in all honesty kind of guessing because you have no yeah. idea for sure if these guys are going to turn out. All right. So just some uh, – oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I 100% agree with that. We were talking a little bit before the show. Henderson was probably my pick like a month or two ago, but I've watched more of Pryor. I, he's a really good player, so it just wouldn't shock me at all if that becomes, you know, more of a um, uh, more of a timeshare. Not to say, I mean, I, I like when I'm picking in a C two C. I think I value winning on the college side a little more than a lot of people do too, because I think as you win on the college side, you also tend to also pick up guys that like are nothing and it might become something in the NFL. Like last year, I picked up sincere. Mc- mccormick like week four i was like who's this freshman running back you know he's at you know utsa they don't really produce anything i picked him up all of a sudden now he's getting a lot of height so and he helped me win a lot of games last year so i think i i value like the scoring in college i think more than some people do because i think just naturally that also leads to you grabbing some some gems for the nfl um, just some comments to close out the discussion on the 2021 class. At least it, it would appear that the 2021 class is not as good as the 2020 class. So 2020 had 11 five-star skill positions. That oh, There were six five-star um, pass catchers, tight ends, and wide receivers, three five-star quarterbacks, and two five-star running backs. 2021 only has three five-star skill position players thus far. Now, I know that those rankings – change um but 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 to date there are only three one five-star quarterback one five-star running back and one five-star pass catcher that's all that's all we have um in the 2021 class so take that for what it's worth check out that 2022 class and that now like perfect rated quarterback the buckeyes just Mm -hmm. got (laughs) i watched a little bit of him today he is built like a bolt like his butt and thighs and I mean, he's just Next, like really Trevor thick, Lawrence, thick dude. He's, he's oh, he's gonna be amazing. I can't wait. I can't wait. CJ Stroud, look out. 
All right. Are we ready for the Debbie debates? Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Let's do it. So uh, the Debbie community, should the Debbie community be down or concerned with Zach Wilson's performance against Coastal Carolina? I'm, I'm first here, right? That's, yeah. Go right, go right ahead. Floor is yours. All right. So, um, man, I heard a lot of talk about how poorly Zach Wilson played and how, you know, the hype has weared off because of the game. Zach Wilson had a passing grade of 82.3. He had zero turnover-worthy plays, except for the one interception on the Hail Mary. He took care of the football, and he added 55 yards as a rusher. And I can't, I can't remember how many times he beat 94 off the edge when 94 was supposed to have contained. And 94 is the guy who you know pushed him into the, into the turf after that interception. I heard that he didn't handle pressure well. Where? He was sacked once. Um, now, Kalani Sataki is a head coach with a defensive background, and it showed during that game. I can't count how many times they ran the ball on third and short or called a designed run for Zach or just took the ball kind of out of his hands. Zach should have thrown the ball 40 times in that game. But – Coastal Carolina played defense with their offense. They had the ball for 37 minutes and 51 seconds. BYU only had it for uh, for 22 minutes and nine seconds. And and you know why they had to do that? Because that final drive, which effectively started from the nine-yard line with 44 seconds left and no timeouts, and what happened next is exactly what you thought was going to happen. Five for six marches right down the field and gets a yard away from winning that game. I think if anything, we talked about Justin Fields last week and how if that's Justin Fields' worst game against not last week, maybe two weeks ago. Two weeks. If that's Justin, yeah. If that was Justin Fields' worst game, then yeah, give me the floor of Justin Fields. If this is the floor of Zach Wilson, yeah, I'll take the floor of Zach Wilson. Chris Moxley, if you are listening, you said something about how, oh, well, he reverted back to um, to his uh, uh, playing style and, and the way he played in 2019. I disagree with that because he didn't, again, he didn't turn the ball over except for that one, uh, that one um, Hail Mary that was intercepted. And he had two or three passes that were dropped or punched out. Um, and so I, I think that if anything – Zach Wilson, especially that final drive, he showed that he has the it factor. There's a reason why Coastal Carolina was running that ball and trying to run the clock out because they didn't want to have it in his hands and for good reason. So, no, I don't think anyone should be concerned with Zach Wilson's performance. It was an 82.3 pass grade uh, against Coastal Carolina. with two, I, I don't even say it with two, with two days' notice. Pretty much said, "Oh, we're going to get on the, uh, we're going to play this game," and then he got on the plane. They rushed three. They were getting pressure with three. Like I don't, I don't understand how that was happening. That's why he was having a hard time finding receivers open. Is because they were dropping eight or dropping seven. So um, eight. I'm trying to count to eleven. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so. I mean, I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. He did not play a, a great game. He he struggled at times. So I, obviously, that last drive, I'm with you. He showed a lot because 
we were all hoping that that's what he was going to do and be able to drive down the field and score. Obviously, as you mentioned, he came a yard short, which which sucked. And I do think, you know, we were talking before the show, if they score that touchdown, the, the narrative is going to be reversed on him. And everybody is going to be saying, oh, my God, did you see what Zach Wilson did? He does it again. And it wasn't a great game. I don't have any other questions about him. Uh, I mean, that game is not having me going there and changing my ranks. He's still at four where he has been. It just wasn't a great game. It, it makes me want to go back and look a little bit more at the tape. Uh, I haven't had a chance to rewatch that game, go back and maybe see some of the stuff that happened with him last year. But overall, no, I, I'm with you. I don't think you have to be concerned about him. The people who are saying that are the armchair and analysts who are just looking for a hot take, in my opinion. All right, a um, little more on Zach Wilson. Austin, Lance and Wilson have a ton of upside, um, but does both of them being a bit more raw than either Mac Jones or Kyle Trask, does that hurt them at all when it comes to the draft? I hope not, and I. Th- it, it's really hard to say because the last couple years we've had raw quarterbacks come in and – show the path to development. I mean, Herbert did it quickly. Allen did it over a more spread out you know, time period, but they both showed that you can draft a raw quarterback early, toss him in and have them learn on the fly and, and become a franchise level quarterback. Where I do worry is that there might be some recency bias there for NFL teams that might take one of these guys early, throw them in a situation that maybe isn't as favorable and, and not have it work out. But if I'm drafting – because I think all those guys are probably – like if you're in a super flex 12-team rookie draft this year and all these quarterbacks come out like we think they're going to, you have to assume that obviously Lawrence Fields are probably going to go 1-2 or somewhere in the top two or three picks. If if one of those raw guys starts falling and I have like my pick and I'm a playoff team, like I, I'm probably taking the upside over the safe guy just because like why wouldn't I try to just hit a home run with that pick if I have a playoff team? So I, I personally prefer Lance and Wilson over – well, I don't even think Kyle Trask is a starting NFL quarterback. That's a different discussion for a different day. But I, I would take the raw guys over the, you know, the stable or safe option. Uh pretty much every time I have a fundamental disagreement with the question itself, just because I don't see Zach Wilson as being raw. I do see Trey Lance as being raw, but you know, you think you mentioned it a little bit, Austin, the raw quarterbacks that have come out in the last few years, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, you know, who who wasn't raw to a tongue of the alone. And he hasn't been, you know, lighting anything up. But you know who wasn't, who also wasn't raw, who was considered to be a pro-ready prospect? Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, those type of players. So, no, I don't – I don't. first of all, I don't see Zach Wilson as being a raw player. He's going to have somewhat of a, I think, 30 starts by the time uh, that he plays. And he's mechanically sound. Um, he's – I'm not sure that there's a lot that you need to tweak with Zach Wilson. He has the playmaking ability. Like all quarterbacks, he needs more reps. He doesn't need as many reps as Trey Lance is going to need with his one season as a starter. But, no, I don't see Zach Wilson being raw. Um, and in considering Trey Lance, he, his physical tools are just too phenomenal um, for me to pass for a guy like either Mac Jones or, or Trey Lance. I mean, or excuse me, Mac Jones or Kyle Trask. Trey Lance has the, the arm strength, the size, the speed. Um, 
where I'm going to prefer him uh, over Jones and Trask every single time. Um, as a matter of fact, I took him in a C2C league this morning um, over, those, over those two players. So, um, no, I don't think that whatever your perception is of Lance and Wilson, I don't think that, uh, that they're should be discounted for Jones and Trask at all. So Lance, yes, I agree with you. He is probably the rawest of these four. And the way I look at Lance is he is one of the quarterbacks who is either going to make you look like a hero because he ends up being the savior of a franchise, or he's going to get you fired very quickly because he does not pan out. I do think that NFL teams are going to look at Jones and Trask different than they do look at Lance and Wilson. They they do have higher upside. I agree 100% with that. Both of them do. Their ceilings are much higher than, than Mac Jones and Kyle Trask, I think, could even dream of getting to. Wilson's floor is not as low as Lance's, in my opinion. But Lance, I think, out of all these, has the lowest floor. He, he just – there's too many questions I have about him. I know he's been good. I know he had a phenomenal one season – I need to see more. And my biggest thing with Wilson is while I agree that he's really good and I do think that he's he's not necessarily raw, but he I still have some questions about his game. And some of that going up against we just saw him play probably the best defense he's played in the past couple of years and he struggled. Like it wasn't a great game. And so people are going to question, can he play upper tier defenses? I think teams will look at Jones and Trask. Now, will they? I think one will get drafted ahead of Will. Of, I'm sorry, not Wilson, of Lance. I, I do think Wilson probably goes before both of them, but I think NFL teams look at Jones and Trask and say, okay, I know what these guys are. I know what their floors are, and I know what their ceilings are. And I think that we can build around them. Again, I know Sean Payton in New Orleans is kind of the wrong thing to use because Sean Payton's a, an offensive genius, but I think if Sean Payton were looking at these guys and saying, okay, I just need a quarterback who can run my offense. I don't need someone to be flashy. I don't need someone I need to develop. I need someone who's already developed. And whether you guys agree or not, a lot of people believe that Mac Jones has already is a developed quarterback at, at this moment right now. So he may say, I'm going to take Mac Jones over Zach Wilson and Trey Lance because he's already developed. He's going to run the offense the way I want it to, and I don't have to worry about getting him more reps, making sure he starts to understand the offense and everything else that goes along with it. So I do think maybe not over both of them. I still think Wilson will be rated very highly, uh, but I do think – one of them at least will go over Lance. I do think Lance is going to fall, but even when, even though I do think he'll come into the combine and blow everybody away with what he does at the combine, throwing, running, everything, I'm sure he's going to jump right back up. But I think when it comes to the NFL draft, there might be that one team that's like Mitch Trubisky of the Bears a couple years ago, whatever that was, where like, hey, we know he's going to be the guy. Someone, I think if for Lance, there's going to have to be a team that falls absolutely in love with him during the draft process to take him very high. That's just my opinion on those guys. All right, we are at 54 minutes, so we are going to skip straight to parting shots. Austin, why don't you start us off there? Well, Mr. Boz has been patiently waiting here for a few minutes for us to talk about Eric Gilbert. And that is, uh, luckily for him, that's what my parting shot is about this week. Uh, with the news over the past couple of days developing that it looks like he's entering the portal and that he's going to transfer somewhere closer to home. Um, he has, I mean, he's from Georgia, whether he actually transfers to Georgia or not, um, which is where I think most people thought he was going to go before he yeah. surprised everybody with his uh, commitment to LSU. 
Uh, and he was having a great freshman year there. He played eight games so far. He had 35 catches, 368 yards, and two touchdowns. And with uh, with Chase opting out at the beginning of the year, with Marshall opting out a week or so ago, he was really their number one option. I mean, they opened up. I mean, the game plan, obviously, last week, the, the first drive, they targeted him like three or four times. Um, so he was going to be the number one option in that offense moving forward. But I think more than anything, his transfer highlights how fleeting success can be in college football. We saw last season, LSU was this juggernaut of a team. They they routed virtually everyone in their path. They produced historic seasons at quarterback, running back, receiver, and which ultimately helped them get a recruit like Eric Gilbert. Since Gilbert's recruitment, though, he has seen both of his main recruiters leave the program. Joe Brady is now the offensive coordinator uh, at, with the Carolina Panthers, and the main grad assistant that was uh, assigned to him is now the, coach, the tight end coach at Old Dominion. We've seen just beyond LSU in the past couple of years how a team like Florida State could win a championship, and five years later they're a laughing stock. So I think it, it is that while it looks like LSU was set for years to dominate, it, these things can fall off extremely quickly. Now, my parting shot is generally on – oh, am I muted? No, you're good. No, you're good. Okay. <laughs> All right. My parting shot is generally on the subject of trading down. Um, when you listen to podcasts, kind of the advice, the general advice had been in drafts and, and just generally had been to trade down and trade down. That It doesn't seem like that is a viable um, uh, tactic anymore because everyone has caught on to that topic that to that that tactic you have to be more strategic i've been in three c2c drafts the last um the last couple of months or so including in one right now and every absolutely everyone is saying um here's my pick uh let's trade down and they don't get any offers at all so that is not a viable strategy anymore what i've found is a better strategy is that if you can trade picks two classes or three classes ahead and the opportunity arises in the middle of the season is to trade some of these fringe players to teams that are competing for the playoffs and for championships, trade those players um, to those teams for those picks. For example, Chase Edmonds, when, um, when he, uh, when Kenyon Drake went down earlier this year, his value skyrocketed and I've, quickly flipped him for a 2023 uh, first-round pick. Travis Fulgham did the same thing. A player like James Robinson, I think, is someone that you could trade for a 2022 or 2023 first. Um, so the trade-down strategy is doesn't seem to be viable anymore, but what you can do is, is pick uh, the opportune time during the season to take advantage or to negotiate with someone who was looking at the right now and you can go ahead and if you're re in rebuild mode, look one or two classes down the, the road and get into that first round. That's my parting shot. Burning. What do you got? <laughs> uh, I mentioned a little bit earlier, right at the top of the show, the myocarditis. Um, I'm really worried about how much this could affect college athletes moving forward. Uh, for those of you who may not have been paying attention, uh, there's a lot of talk about it this past week and weekend. There's been a lot of college players who have now been found to have that due to COVID. Uh, it's not just 
uh, life threatening, but career threatening as well. There's some men, there's some college players that may not ever be able to play college football again. It's it's kind of the price, unfortunately, these kids have paid uh, for them having to play football. Which again, I'm sure a lot of them wanted to play. I'm sure if, if you can go back and think about yourself back when you were 21 through 23. You know, if you were a if you were a highly competitive athlete, I mean, I was never at a college level football, but played competitive sports all my entire life. I would have wanted to do the same thing. But it sometimes uh, something Felix mentioned earlier, you kind of have to take this out of their hands uh, like Michigan did with these kids and canceling the game. Um, Part of me kind of wishes we would have done more of that at the beginning of the year, because if you're talking about some of these kids may never be able to play football again because of a decision to play a couple games in the SEC for overall season that's been really kind of messed up, it's it's really going to suck to see kids lose that. I mean, we saw it with Journey Brown. I don't know if that's exactly what happened with him, but we saw it obviously with Journey Brown earlier this year because of COVID get removed. And if it happens to any other athletes, which I do think it will, as more and more of this comes out, it's going to, to really kind of put a stain on this 2020 season. A sombering end to our show tonight. You can find our written content at Dynasty Nerds. Email the show at Debbie Debate. Get into the, the drawing for the Kyler Murray jersey. Tweet at the show at Debbie Debate on Twitter. Apologies to Kirk Curbstreet. We ran out of time. And for Matt Bruning and Austin Nace, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. <laughs>